simply hearing what's going on and seeing the obvious, despite the fact that revealing the obvious is probably a stupid thing to do because it makes a lot of people angry and it made a lot of people angry. I even got death threats. Uh, and I'm not kidding because people were very mad about my, and they've been very mad about my predictions regarding China and Hong Kong. Before we get started with the show, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Global Training Center. As trade compliance professionals, you want to make sure that your procedures and documentation are completed as correctly as possible to avoid any delays and possible fines. We provide a range of trade compliance courses that will fit your needs. From in-person or web training to recorded on-demand courses, we can train one or even thousands on your team through your learning platform or on our portal. We can even customize a private session for your team. Go to globaltrainingcenter.com to find out more. Okay, folks, we are back for another uh, show for Simply Trade. And listen, we greatly appreciate your listenership and your viewership if you're watching our videos and all. And, it, you know, like us, subscribe to us, download us. We greatly appreciate it. Our numbers are going way up. We're over 50 shows. I just found that out, and I am excited. I mean, like, Giddy's a filly on a spring morning, folks. It's great. You guys are wonderful. So. With that, uh, Lalo, man, I tell you, I'm I'm excited for today's show. But uh, how you doing, by the way? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. And uh, and yes, uh, speaking of today's show, so it was a challenge from our social media um, specialist, you know, Anik, who who hosts the uh, the daily or the daily. I'm sorry, the weekly roundup uh, that we have. Um, so she said, I wish you guys would do us uh, have a the author of this article on your show. And I think she said it almost in passing, thinking it wasn't going to happen. So I'm glad she challenged us in that. And uh, a week later, here we are, we're interviewing the uh, author of this um, Hong Kong. Um, I told you so type um, uh, article from, from, uh, um, from Dan, and uh, we'll introduce him here in a little bit, but uh, so anyway, I'm glad that that came out of this because uh, that was the purpose of the uh, of the weekly roundup is to try to generate more conversations. Mm -hmm. Well, I love it. I tell you, we had a good uh, good discussion. It sparked some interesting comments, and actually, we've had some good uh, feedback from uh, our listeners. So that's guys, we, we love your stuff, and and so keep that kind of stuff going. So you said you had a story though, Lala. What uh, what you have in mind? Uh, I was uh, trying to think, you know me, and I try to figure a way to segue into our our um, guest. So I remember back in 2008, uh, there was a guy who um, everybody thought he was crazy because he was, he was almost hedging against the housing market. Remember the housing market? How it was gangbusters, you know, lots of, lots of, you know, and uh, he was pretty much hedging against it saying this thing is going to crash he saw the signs and everything and he even bet against it by buying um what is it called i don't know i i'm not a finance person so I, I excuse me if i say this wrong or anything but i believe it was he was buying um like insurance or something against the the housing market meaning that he was going to make money if they default on it so and people are saying you're crazy you're spending your money you're wasting your money the housing market is doing great you know and obviously they didn't want to hear that bad news because you know they're making lots of money out of it and uh, 
sure enough, what happened? We had the big crash, the housing market crash, you know, and he made a lot of money off of that and everything. So anyway, I'm kind of trying to relate it in the sense that uh, Dan wrote an article a while back uh, when uh, when uh, when he saw the signs on on Hong Kong and China taking over again and, you know, kind of saying, guys, this is going to happen. The lease on the British lease that was a hundred year lease actually ran out and they turned it back over to China. Right. And and Dan's point at that time was, you know, just saying things that were going to happen, what might happen, et cetera. And people, you know, didn't say nasty things to him, but I don't know he'll, he'll confirm if they did or not, but, but at least said, <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen or whatever, you know, but anyway, so, so, well, I'm glad to have him because he did say, write an article recently saying, uh, I told you so, I knew this was going to happen, you know, and uh, get to redeem yourself, Dan. So we have Dan Harris, everyone. And so we'll let you uh, introduce um, your background a little bit and, uh, you know, and then we'll go into the, the Hong Kong thing if, if, uh, if that's okay. That's great. Thank you for having me. Let me start out by distinguishing myself from the real estate person you're talking about, that person was smart and did well financially due to his predictions. I don't think of myself as smart. I think of myself as simply hearing what's going on and seeing the obvious, despite the fact that revealing the obvious is probably a stupid thing to do because it makes a lot of people angry and it made a lot of people angry. I even got death threats. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not kidding because people were very mad about my, and they've been very mad about my predictions regarding China and Hong Kong uh, since I turned sour on both places in 2018. Uh, so um, I'm... I didn't realize that my article came across as I as an I told you so. I wanted it to be an I told you so, but I didn't want anyone to realize it was an I told you so. <laughs> Uh, you, you've you've been vindicated. Let's put it that way, because you had some good uh, things. So it's like, uh, yeah, and and that's some of the best ways to look at it. Not necessarily nan and nan and nan. <laughs> unfortunately, let's put it this way: you have been unfortunately vindicated because your assessment was pretty accurate. Right, right, and I'm not so sure it's unfortunate because I think that. That was the reality when I said it, and it's the reality now. And the more people who realize it, the better it will be. In fact, um, I'm in Austin, Texas right now. And when I was heading to my hotel, I was talking with a client who said he's never going to China again. He thinks it's too dangerous. And my response was, good for you. And I'm not saying it was necessarily too dangerous for him, but good for him for actually realizing that possibility and taking it into account because too many people don't. And China is very aggressive in their agenda. They are very focused at all levels of from the top all the way down through their entire economy as well as in their population and culture. Um, I will say personally, I've got some good friends that are uh, in China and have had the opportunity to meet with some uh, good Chinese folks, but I'm, I'm telling you, you got to be able to, 
earn their respect and 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 all that you can't just lay down with it and uh and china has been has now become that 800 pound gorilla in the room kind of a thing and uh, and deal with it so all right well let's let's do this uh dan the uh first off again thank you for joining our show we greatly appreciate this and with that is all right so let's remind folks of the article that you'd written your prediction was that when Hong Kong then became uh, went under Chinese rule, and as time went on in 2018, China, mainland China, started exercising more aggressively their influence and control over Hong Kong. Now, at the time, going back even further, when China took over control and British relinquished it to the Chinese, it was a scenario where Hong Kong was considered the business mecca of Asia and was the, you know, the, the center there. It's like, uh, it was a great place to do business in Asia. Uh, a lot of places used Hong Kong as an arbitration point. If there were disputes, there were all kinds of business, co- uh, contracts handled in and through China, uh, well in and through Hong Kong, excuse me, as China, mainland China took, effect now correct me if i go wrong here but it's like uh they started replacing the democratic elected folks in hong kong with more chinese nationals and as it went on and has even gotten to the point now where um the chinese government or should i say the hong kong government pseudo chinese government has arrested dissidents that are, you know, pushing back and, and trying to even one that was a uh, multi-millionaire or a billionaire of some kind, very wealthy, that was, uh, a, again, a dissident. Again, he was pro-democracy and, and not uh, so much mainland China. All right. So saying all that, as things have gone on and it progressed, there was in the article, if you're using Hong Kong as a source, if you're using Hong Kong as a major player as far as an uh, intermediary for uh, disputes and all that you better move out of that take that out of your contracts uh, find different sources for Hong Kong and that was what the prediction was that people were getting their knickers in a knot over right yes that was certainly one of them but essentially what I was saying was Hong Kong as we know it is no more it is China Um uh, it is Shenzhen, it is Guangzhou, it is not Hong Kong anymore. And these are the signs and everything indicates. And really, I mean, this is why I, I take no pride in what in my prediction, because absolutely everything, all the writing on the wall said, it's just going to keep happening. All you have to do is look at the way the CCP uh, treats its own people, look at what the CCP has said about Hong Kong in the past, look at the fact that the CCP has always hated Hong Kong because it is not really China. It's international. It's uh, democratic. It doesn't fit with the CCP. So to think that it could remain Hong Kong for long is an absolute pipe dream. And the arbitration portion is interesting because that actually drew a lot of heat. But 
I also had a lot of friends who called me up and said, you're 100% right. Why would anybody put a Hong Kong arbitration clause in their contracts now? In fact, one friend said that uh, he had an arbitration in Hong Kong and he couldn't go because of the politics. So, I mean, it, it, it was a huge deal. But um, arbitration in Hong Kong is a huge business. Attention all trade geeks. The GTech conference is coming to Oklahoma City and you won't want to miss it. Mark your calendars for July 30th through August 1st and join us for a jam-packed event with expert list sessions and networking opportunities. And guess what? The Simply Trade podcast will be recording live at the event. Don't miss this unique chance to be featured on a show and share your insights with fellow trade professionals. We'll see you in Oklahoma City, where trade compliance takes center stage. Go to www.ncbfaa.org and become part of the action. The arbitrators make a ton of money. The lawyers make a ton of money. And uh, it's easy for me to say this because our law firm's arbitration practice is essentially country neutral. I mean, we do arbitrations in London, Geneva, Hong Kong, Singapore. But if you're a Hong Kong lawyer, uh, my comments threaten your livelihood. Uh, in that arbitration uh, scenario there, is that also associated with the International Chamber of Commerce, the ICC? Not necessarily. I mean, there are a lot of good um, arbitration tribunals in Hong Kong. Um, and... Um, what really worried me is the fact that Hong Kong's courts have been compromised by China. And so um, no matter what arbitral body you use in Hong Kong, and there are terrific arbitral bodies in Hong Kong, there are terrific arbitrators in Hong Kong. I mean, it's no accident that Hong oh, Kong... I love Hong Kong. And it's a great city. It, um, it is a fantastic city. Great food, great people. I, it's, I love Hong Kong. I love but everything about it except crossing yeah. the street because I always look the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I actually, it's funny you say that. I always I wound up actually hurting my back horrendously in Hong Kong because I stepped off a curb with all my bags and I was walking one block to a, a business office to go to the airport and all that. And I almost got hit by a taxi. I mean, it's like I had to right? jump out of the way and uh, wrench my bag. It's like, oh, my gosh. So to your point, I know that one. <laughs> well, and I've never been able to drive on, quote, unquote, the wrong side of the road. And I don't know how there are people who just do it. I mean, yeah. I can't. So I, I respect that. And I respect anyone who can uh, cross the street in Hong Kong. Uh, but I don't respect lawyers who keep putting Hong Kong in their arbitration clause. Well, to your point, I, I, so as we're going through is that is, uh, what people should do, let, let me ask this, even in today's world, uh, if they are pulling away from Hong Kong as a source, you know, I, again, Hong Kong had and has had, I guess, is still, but there, uh, a lot of manufacturing is there, especially in the garment industry. There's no question about that. 
but a lot of manufacturing was going on there. There's the business side of things, the financing side of things, as far as, you know, financing the, uh, some great international banking goes on there and all that, all that coming out of there now, where should people be looking at? Is there another place in Asia they should consider in your opinion, or what, what's the action that somebody should be taking here? Well, that's an interesting question. And first off, there's almost no manufacturing happening in Hong Kong. What there is is manufacturing companies. And most of those companies are manufacturing in mainland China. They're just in Hong Kong for the lower taxes. Okay. So, um, and to a certain extent, I also have to confess that despite the fact that Hong Kong is sort of the city that you stamp on your contract for arbitration, I was never that big a fan of it for a number of re well, actually not a number of reasons, for one reason. It, it's phenomenally expensive, meaning uh, the lawyers there are incredibly expensive, the arbitrators are incredibly expensive, and sometimes that makes sense. If, if you're worried that your client's going to get sued and you don't want them to be, then maybe you put arbitration in Hong Kong. But if you're worried that your supplier is not going to give you product, then maybe you put arbitration somewhere else. And um, there are a ton of good lawyers and a ton of good arbitrators in a ton of cities around the world. And um, we've always liked, believe it or not, Vancouver, Canada. Um, the prices are good. The quality is high. Uh, Canada lets people in. So a lot of times we would use that with Chinese companies. And they're like, great, we're, we're going to get a trip on the company. When, when the British came over, there was a section of Vancouver that they called Hongcouver, which is so many Chinese from Hong Kong were coming over and buying areas and all that. But it's, yeah, Va Vancouver is a great place. I love Vancouver, too. That's another wonderful place. Yeah, no, Va Vancouver's good. Um, we had a dispute. It was a huge dispute. We were representing a Caribbean country that was suing a big um Chinese construction company, and we were pushing for arbitration. We agreed to mediate and then arbitrate. There was nothing in the contract as to where. Um, and we were pushing for New York. They were pushing for Beijing. And we settled it on Mexico City. <laughs> I know. So now the arbitration never happened. The case was resolved. But the point is, there are plenty of places. Now, the, now the new knee jerk is Singapore. Yeah, I was going to ask about Singapore because that's it, it, there's a heavy Chinese influence in Singapore. But there's also a strong business acumen in Singapore. And there's excellent lawyers, excellent arbitrators. And I used to love Singapore. But Singapore, I mean, we used to bring on lawyers to help us in Asia or in Singapore, and we would pay really good lawyers $250 an hour. Now they're $650. I mean, Singapore has become really expensive. Singapore uh, has been rising fast for a long time, and Hong Kong's decline has only accelerated that. But what's really interesting is, just yesterday, somebody I know who's actually 
a very good arbitrator and has not, I, I respect him and he, he has not made any threats against me, but he, I know he wasn't happy with my position on Hong Kong. He just sent me an article regarding someone being executed or being sentenced for execution in Singapore for transporting, I think it was two kilograms of cannabis. And his message to me said, you're always advocating for Singapore. Um, I wonder how you feel about it after this was sort of the, what he said. And I responded by saying, I don't think I've ever advocated for Singapore. I've advocated against Hong Kong. Um, and I felt like saying, but I didn't say it. I believe, I think, first off, I'll just be blunt here. I'm against the death penalty. I'm for the legalization of cannabis. So on two grounds, I think what they're doing there is horrific. Yet at the same time, and this is going to sound a little bit callous, in terms of choosing a place to arbitrate, I think it's almost irrelevant. And the reason I say that is because I believe the Singapore criminal justice system is legitimate. So I'm not... 100% sure this person's guilty, but I believe based on the fact that he was convicted that he's guilty. Um, just like if someone were convicted in Denmark, I believe that they're guilty. China is random. China arrests people who I do not believe are guilty. Um, so that's you're, I mean, if you look at what China's done in the last few months, they've gone after the Mince Group, a consulting company. They've gone after Micron Technologies. They've gone after just today or yesterday, uh, Bain Company. They're going after American companies and they're choosing them not 100 percent arbitrarily, um, but I believe that these companies really almost certainly have done nothing wrong and China's going after them to retaliate against the United States messing with their chip supply. And I don't expect that to happen with Singapore. So there's a big, big difference between the legal systems of Singapore and of Hong Kong. So I'm not going to say I advocate for Singapore, but if... Um, Somebody on the other side insisted on Singapore. I would tell the client, look, it's not one of my favorite places, but it's completely legit. Do you want to fight him on this? It's not that big a deal. Well, the other is uh, you, you're wanting to look at a location that if you need to geographically, like you said, first off, the location could be determined in you know, a variety of ways. But if you're looking at, again, geographically trying to get close, I mean, I, I would tell you South Korea would be a, they're very pro-business. They seem to be very strong in many aspects. Malaysia and Vietnam right now uh, seem to be so heavily influenced by China that I would raise an eyebrow in that area. I don't know about the court systems and, and, and all that. Again, in every one of these, there's some really good attorneys, like you said, and, and all of that. Hence the deal again, Vancouver is, you know, it's like halfway. It's a long ways for a lot of people in the U S to get there. And it's a long ways for Asia, but it's like halfway in the middle and it works out. And it's the proverbial neutral country. I mean, Canada is not neutral, but everyone thinks they are, but it's interesting. You mentioned Malaysia, Vietnam, and Korea. 
I used to go to, I went to Korea so many times that the West and Chosen and Seoul threw a party for me on my 100th oh. visit. Um, hey, I, I, was, hey, watch it. I love that Weston. That was, it was I, a great I went hotel. There. Oh, it's like I, I got to go there when it had just opened. It had been open about three months, I think. And when I happened to come in, and I was like, son of a biscuit eater. This is like, you know, I'm sitting in high cotton on this doggone in thing. The this is nice. the, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> and duck eggs. Okay. They, you know, they serve a lot of duck eggs rather than chicken eggs there. And I'm like, oh, hey, these no, are great. They, they, I mean, yeah, they didn't have to throw me a party to get me to come back. But what I always say about Korea is it took me about 75 visits to like Korea. And it took me about 100 visits to love it because Korea is really difficult for foreigners. I mean, Korean is an impossible language. Um, you can't, if you say to a cab driver, Weston Chosen, they won't know what you're saying. You have to say Weston Chosen. I mean, you have to really, <laughs> because it's such a homo homogenous country in the language. I mean, there, there's very little deviation. So if you speak even with the slightest accent, oftentimes you're not understood. And it is, people tell me who know these things, it is a very traditional Confucianist society. And um, their legal system is different. Their language is different. They don't use much English. So it is a tough country. Malaysia is getting there. Um, Vietnam, I love Vietnam. My, I can, I love it so much. I had my, I convinced my eldest daughter to do her foreign study there. I love going there. I love the people. I love the optimism. I love the youth. I love the food. Everything. Um, Vietnam is a great country, and it's rising. But for arbitration, no. For a lot of other things, yes. Meaning, um, for switching, moving your manufacturing there, it's fantastic. It's almost full, so good luck finding a factory. But it is a very good country, although we have some clients. I mean, it's so interesting because we do a lot of work with manufacturing companies, and um, a lot of them have strong views. So we're, we, we love Vietnam. We love Thailand. We love South Korea. We love Portugal. We love Poland. We love Mexico. But we'll have a client say, Nothing in Asia. I'm done with Asia because I'm so worried about a Taiwan-China war. There's, I, f I believe that moving to Vietnam is not going to solve the problem. I'm also worried about the U.S. tariffs. This is up you guys' alley. Um, I'm worried about the tariffs, the China tariffs. I'm worried that Vietnam's going to get sucked into that because so much of what's made in Vietnam is made with Chinese parts. But then we have, and I'm like, okay, and, and you know, I've, I'm not going to be the one to convince them otherwise, um, especially because uh, I'm not arrogant enough to make a prediction as to whether there will be a, a war between China and Taiwan. I have, I've read about a million things on it, and I still have no idea, but I don't know. And then Mexico, I'll, I'll have clients, I have, I have a client super savvy. I, I, I describe them as our poster child for getting out of China. They got out as soon as Trump initiated the tariffs, and they had 10 suppliers. 
they will not look at Mexico because their CEO went to Mexico 20 years ago and needed felt he needed an armored car the whole time. To me, that's ridiculous. But, you know, it's emotional. Well, and it's, again, it comes down to relationships. I was going to ask about the Taiwan situation. So let's let's back up for just a second. You had the, the scenario with Hong Kong, the transition of British rule to Chinese rule in Hong Kong was a very, um, you know, domestic type scenario there, civilized, if you was a handoff, whatever. And as time gone, has gone on, again, China's gotten more aggressive with it and all that. That said, the situation with Taiwan and looking at that as a source, and of course, there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, manufacturing going on there, especially from the, the uh, microchips and, and all of that in that area. That would be a hostile uh, takeover and would pose a significant uh, disruption in global supply. Uh, in supply chain and some products and whatever. Um, so in that scenario, playing that out, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm, I'm sure that there are people moving away from Taiwan just because of the threat, let alone the actual, you know, if something happens. So any suggestion from your perspective, like you say, you've not really looked at it from a prediction perspective, but what would you do from a business perspective? Uh, how would you provide some counsel there for people? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because um, in 2018, when people were starting to sour on China um, and Trump instituted the tariffs, uh, we really were pushing Taiwan. And we did have clients. I mean, it was very interesting, the type of clients. It was sort of not like rubber ducky manufacturing, not super high-end technical manufacturing. It was things like um, locks um, for doors. Um, they moved to Taiwan and felt that the manufacturing was considerably better and the price was only a little bit higher. So Taiwan was popular, but I don't know that, I don't think we've had a company mention Taiwan as a place to go since the Ukraine war. I, I, it's like Taiwan, the concept of moving to Taiwan has been wiped off the map. It's, it's, not, it's not there anymore, which is interesting. And, and I don't know that I blame people because if you've got the, you're, I mean, there's a big difference between leaving Taiwan if you're already there and going there if you're not there. And people have, there are a lot of choices out there. There's no perfect choice. A lot depends on your product. A lot depends on where you're selling. I, I'm, our, what I always say is our clients who have moved to Mexico or Colombia, if you want to hear someone go na 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 na, call them. Because they are, Delighted, even though I would say 90% of them, it was the, the move was more difficult than they expected because they thought that they could move into a place like Mexico or Colombia and it would be China. 
and they're not. Um, but now that they've got it together, they love it. And that's generally what we find with Vietnam also and Malaysia and Thailand. But all those countries are really good for some sorts of companies and really bad for others. Well, all said and done, the one thing that we're looking at here is as people are looking at sourcing. So this would be for our listeners, this would be like your sourcing group, purchasing group, whatever. You got a widget, you need it manufactured, you're looking to buy it, whatever. And as you're sourcing, traditionally, people have just almost automatically gone to China. And now that is in the last couple of years, that's really you know, ratcheted down. Um, Hong Kong's off the off the chart now. That's just it's the same thing as China, if you will. Taiwan's a threat. So where else do you go? And you start looking around. Well, one of the things I will say again, Mexico has really benefited, I think, from a lot of this uh, effort. Uh, you just mentioned Colombia. There's Brazil as well. Brazil has been a little difficult to do business at times because they change their business rules so rapidly, uh, and it's a little frustrating. But aside from that. You know, different places in the world. The key is is that transportation-wise, though, aside from getting it manufactured, geographically, if you're serving the North American, you know, market, you know, Mexico and Colombia and those areas are so close now because of the other issue, aside from the political ramifications in the, in the stability in these countries in Asia, then you also have the scenario where, you know, again, it's the uh, the ocean liners that are coming over, cargo ships, and then they get backed up in the uh, West Coast ports and all of that. And that's disrupting the supply chain and adding days to it. Whereas, you know, again, Mexico is fantastic in that, you know, it's trucking and whatnot. Uh, in Colombia, you're, you're close by. So the point being is that you've got to look at this holistically. Would you agree with that, Dan, in that as you're looking at sources, don't look at just the manufacturer. Don't look at just one area. Yeah, it's a little easier to do business here. But also add your supply chain, your logistics, your transportation, your import exports and all that kind of stuff. A hundred percent. And that's what makes it so difficult because – You've got the huge companies like Apple. They have infinite money, infinite expertise. A lot of our clients are mid-sized companies. They're in China. Everything's going fine. They're terrified, but everything's going fine. And then they'll say, uh, I mean, I had a client. I, I love telling this story because they were our client for five, ten years and if you had asked me what they are, I would have said they're a manufacturer and they're a big company. Uh, and they said, um, can we get our widgets made in Thailand? And I said, yeah. OK, no doubt about it. Uh, and I said, I'll connect you with these people and they'll help you on this. And they said, well, can they make our widgets? You, you realize, Dan, that our widgets are the absolute top of the line. I go, yeah, no, I know that. Uh, can can they be made to our quality standards? And I go, I have no idea. I didn't quite say it like I have no idea, but I have no idea. Okay. Um, so you're going to have to send your people over there. And he basically says, well, we really don't have any people. It turns out they're not a manufacturer. They were once a manufacturer, a well-known one. But now they have like 
you know, four engineers and, and probably three of them are design engineers. They're amazing at putting great design on the outside and marketing and telling a really good factory in China how to make the inside. But really, that really good factory in China knows how to make the inside. So um, then they're, now they're faced with this idea, do they go to Thailand hire people to help them figure out Thailand, then they then it turns out Thailand can't do it. Then they go to Malaysia and Malaysia can't do it. Then they go to Mexico and Mexico can't do it. So everything's fine and they're looking at maybe sp spending a huge amount of money and a year and a half to figure out where to go um, because there are so many factors. And uh, a lot of companies simply freeze. So I, I, I tell reporters, I go, one week I asked about 25 of our clients. Uh, it was just a question I would ask everybody I was on the phone with. I'd say, if you could move your manufacturing into Mexico and pay 10% more, would you do it? Every, every single one said yes, except one company. And that company makes a medical product and they pay eight cent, 10 cents for it and they charge $8. So their margins are so astronomical, they don't care about anything. Okay, so, but every other one, and they don't care about tariffs because who cares about tariffs on 10 cents? But every other one said yes, and a lot of them said, I pay 15% more. And then when I tell people this, they go, well, that can't be true because why haven't they moved to Mexico? And the answer is because they freeze. It's super difficult, which is one of the reasons I, I don't, that the tariffs can be a problem because the big companies are best equipped to get around it. And it's the mid-sized companies that pay, and the smaller companies that tend to have to pay the price. Um, so it's, it, you know, there's going to be a lot of change. And the more companies that go into Mexico, the more companies that will follow. Because they're well, those will, companies uh, that blaze the trail. Dan, let, let, let me say this. This is one of the things that we emphasize on our show and a lot. It's like, look. If you are, if you've got a product and you're trying to expand your markets internationally, so you've got a product you want to sell, regardless of wherever you're at and all that, you're going to have to, you know, look at the culture, look at the market, look at the things and figure out, do I need to get local folks to, to market it, whatever. But the point being is you got to develop those relationships to penetrate a market and figure out what's going on. The same thing goes if you're sourcing goods for a different I will tell you that somebody is so used to China that that's been established for so long and now they're looking at moving it. It's like, guess what? Probably the people that originally set up the situation in China, I got news. When people were setting up things in China, they had to hammer out a lot of issues. And to China's credit, they expanded it in, in or, or I, uh, develop things in the language and all that and, and had refine it to their credit. That's good. Well, they're going to have to do that again. And so there's a lot of folks that are ready for, let me just do it. And I want it now. Well, it doesn't work. You're going to have to work that. You're going to have to cultivate that. You're going to have to work with people and ah, the quality's not quite there. Let's get through it. I mean, think back into the seventies 
when something made in Taiwan or something, they're like, oh man, this is cheap. And, you know, it would fall apart, whatever. And as time has gone on, guess what? Taiwan's a good quality manufacturer. Same thing. It used to be made in China. It was cheap. Well, no, now it's, it became a better manufacturing. You're going to have to do the same thing. Now, I see a lot of phenomenal, high-quality products manufactured in Mexico. But it didn't just happen. So to your point, when people are looking at that, they're looking for an easy answer, but it's like, no, you, you change it to relocate or to change a source for a product from one country to another. That's major, and it's going to take time to establish it. And it's not going to, to your point, they thought, well, I'll just set it up and go. Uh-uh, it's going to take time for the employees, the culture, the business acumen, all that. And as time goes on, it'll get there. I used to tell people, I remember somebody called once um, wanting to make something in China and it would have saved them 15%. It was actually book publishing. And I said, don't do it. That's not enough because you're looking at it 15%. You're ignoring the fact that shipping costs could go up. You're ignoring the fact that your first two orders are probably going to be worthless. You're ignoring the fact that your fifth order, half of it's going to be bad. You're ignoring the fact that we're going to have to draft all these contracts in multiple languages. Uh, somebody might run off with your IP. I mean, China was the, was really difficult in the beginning. Now, Latin America is way better than China was when I first started doing China, generally. But people expect it to be perfect. What, what's also happening, which is interesting, you talk about uh, having to work through things. We had a client who was making something in um, a Latin American country, and um, $1,500 products, and this... They were trying to get as much as they could locally. And the manufacturer in this country said, and the reason I'm even vague about the country is because if I don't want anybody to hear this, um, because it could cause uh, the fight to reignite. Um, so the Latin American manufacturer said, we can get the springs locally. You know, like dollar springs, they said it presumably to help our client and, you know, 2000 of the widgets were shipped to the United States and many more were to follow and the springs were not good enough. So then our client had to fly in springs from, from China because this is a seasonal product and it was bad. And our client kept in, was furious and claiming that the manufacturer was a crook and, I, and I'm like, I had to calm the client down by saying, look, you told me that they have high-end, multi-million dollar equipment. Con artists don't build good factories and buy multi-million dollar equipment. I mean, <laughs> that's not, no con artist I know makes an investment like that. I said, we've just, and so for days we were trying, they, they had, really come to hate each other over this spring and everything was falling apart. And it reminded me of China in the early days, but our our client just kept insisting, you know, that he had never dealt with that in China and he hadn't because he had gone in there once China was smoother. Yeah. Well, like you said, it was going to have to, you know, it'll take time to, to, uh, 
if you will, cultivate the business and the environment and you'll get, you'll get there as time goes on. But, oh well, my gosh. Well, and it's interesting because people feel, I mean, there was actually, people don't remember this. There was a time where companies were quote unquote forced to go into China. And by that, I mean, like we would have a mid-sized company call us and say, you know, we have to go into China. We don't want to, but we have to. I'd say, what do you mean? They'd go, well, this huge company has told us that if we can't supply them with their such and such in all of Asia, then they're not going to use us for Europe or the United States either. Companies are feeling forced that they have to leave China because there is a lot of pressure right now. Well, and, and, and there, you know, one thing that's coming into play is the Uyghur Anti-Forced Labor Prevention Act, the Anti-Slavery Type Act, all that kind of stuff. We've, we've been talking a lot about that, and it is having an impact on China's economy. Other countries around the world are implementing, you know, same similar uh, legislation, so it's beginning to permeate out there. And as such, I mean, again, you're going to have to look at maybe you need to change if you didn't want to or become flexible in that. So who knows? Listen, Dan, I, man, I could keep talking to you. You know, it's like, man, this is, this has been good, but we're going to have to cut this off at this point. Um, I will say one, is there one key thing based on all this we've been talking about here that you could, you know, what, what would be a, an important thing to emphasize what we've talked about today? Well, the key thing is planning and it's both planning. You don't, we've talked about how difficult it is to go into a new country. It's also difficult to leave China because once people think you're leaving, you don't have any friends in China and everything you own there is up for grabs, including your IP. And so you have to prepare to leave China and the one word of advice I have for that is don't tell anybody you're leaving uh, until maybe 15 seconds before you're gone. And then you also have to figure out where you have to figure out where you're going. You have to leave China and you have to go there. So it's really three very difficult things that need to be done. Um, and they're not there's nobody who knows how to do all three of those things. Uh, in fact, I don't think there's anybody who really knows how to do any two of them. So it is tough. So I don't know if that's a key thing uh, or a vague thing, but. Well, if the planning <laughs> means that you've got to collaborate with several different entities within your company and to, to achieve the overall strategy, whether it's, we're talking about China or anything else here. I mean, that's it. Uh, overall, I would just say that, uh, your point is well taken. Planning is essential. So, Dan, I greatly appreciate your insights. I'm sure we're going to have some more. And matter of fact, uh, I would love to uh, uh, on on some future stuff here. Uh, you know, any other predictions you may have or something that you're you're looking at, you're going to be welcome to come back. We'll we'll engage in some of this. Will be a great discussion. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, Dan, again, thank you so much to our listeners. Again, thank you so much for your uh, uh, listening to us. And, and without you, we would not have a show. We greatly appreciate you and let us know what you think. All that. Uh, have a great day. 
Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.